2: Hi everyone. My name is Tegan Klein. I am the co-founder and business lead of Edge & Node. My guest today is Arjun. Arjun is the co-founder and CEO of Connext. As the blockchain space expands beyond Ethereum, Connext is vital. Connext is a cross-chain liquidity network that enables fast, fully non-custodial transfers between EVM-compatible chains and all 2 systems. Connext is quickly becoming a core building block within the Web3 stack. We had a great conversation where we talk about the Layer 2 summer that is coming upon us, how Connext is helping with interoperability at the transaction layer, the movement they're seeing between Binance Smart Chain and Polygon, which chains they've seen the most action on, open roles at Connext, as well as the positives and negatives that come when building during the bear market. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Arjun. Today's show is brought to you by The Graph. The Graph is the decentralized indexing and query protocol that for the decentralized web. We call it Web3. What Google does for the web, The Graph does for blockchains. The Graph is one of the most used protocols in the blockchain space today, powering most of DeFi, NFTs, DAOs, and so much more. Thank you so much for tuning in. Arjun, I would love to begin by maybe you describing why cross-chain transactions are such an interesting market right now for the blockchain space? I think this would be kind of a great place to start and dive into what Connect is doing and the problem that it's solving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess one thing that researchers have kind of realized over the course of the last um, few years, both in you know within the Ethereum Layer Two scalability space and then also more broadly around like ETH2, is that um, you know having a single chain or a single Place where uh, like a single consensus system that everybody's uh, is interacting with doesn't really scale at all, um, and like we've we've kind of reached the limitations of what we can do within like the the single Ethereum blockchain world, um, and what that does is that brings about this like more interesting uh, uh, world where we're going to be interacting with many different chains, um, and this is something that wasn't immediately apparent. So like we we started talking about this. Uh, and sort of interacting with this mental mental model back in like August of last year, and when we started talking about it, everyone was like, "Okay, no, this is crazy." Um, but the reason that it makes sense is that um, even even with like an even in a like a Ethereum layer two enabled world, uh, you still have this centralization risk that exists if you are all if everyone is operating on the same L two, um, and while it's true that you know L two is like rollups compete with, with each other for a block space. And so like you would assume that they would be competitive with each other. You would assume that one would win over time. Um, however, uh, there's two things that really like throw a wrench in the works there. One is that um, having everyone move to a single L2, it just means that everyone's going, Yet yeah, you're just going to be like increasing the amount of overhead involved in validating the chain. So from a, from an economic security perspective and from a uh, from a just, you know, does it make sense philosophical perspective, it doesn't seem to work because effectively what you've done is basically the same thing that you would have accomplished simply by increasing the Ethereum size. You've just made the chain harder to validate. Um, and then second is, and this is a, a more kind of soft, like a, not necessarily a hard technical reason, but you can kind of, there's, there's plenty of examples out there in the world right now where you can see that um, with decentralized permissionless systems, with decentralized networks, uh, they don't. They don't really ever work out so cleanly. Um, there's always competition. Sometimes people will want to uh, fork rollups and and operate their own systems, if only because they want to be contrarian. Um, and this is doubly true for open source systems, uh, where the, the marginal cost of like building a new version of this is is almost nothing. Um, and uh, and so we we generally think that like the world is heading towards this multi chain space. And in a multi chain space. The thing that ends up being the most interesting, the most valuable, uh, uh, is the is is what what whatever connects them.
2: Absolutely, I love that we just dove into the thick of it. I think kind of <laughs> double clicking on what you mentioned around Ethereum. I think Ethereum is really optimized for the security model to run nodes at low cost and that helps with decentralization. So I would love to understand, and we can kind of get into composability next, but I would love to understand what do you think like the dApps that will remain on Ethereum, which types of dApps will that likely be?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I mean, I don't think Ethereum really is going away um, in any in any way, shape or form. I think like a lot of the, the core pieces of infrastructure that have been around there are going to remain there. I mean, it's not like they could really go anywhere. Um, and I would I would expect that like people will continue providing the query on Ethereum layer one for things like Uniswap, Aave, um, and other core pieces, key pieces of like DeFi infrastructure for a while. Um, however, and this is something that's already been happening, uh, it's it's kind of it's sort of become a playground for whales rather than like everyday retail users. Um, and so what I would expect is you know, there would there might still be people using those those applications, but largely it would be like institutions or other people that are making sizable trades. and um, the ideal, of course, the the like layer two maximalist vision for all of this is uh, ideally you don't use Ethereum for anything else. You only use it for like adjudicating layer two and adjudicating like like you basically have it just be like an economic security chain. Um, eventually, uh to, to make that even more efficient, you can move to the move to a world where, like Ethereum, isn't really even like validating any state, it's just validating a bunch of hashes. And so, like the cost of mining it becomes even cheaper, um, and the scalability of anything that's built on top of it, so any of the rollups that are built on top of it, uh, grows significantly. Um, now, that would certainly be like a really nice world to live in because uh, you know all the rollups become a lot more scalable. Um, And uh, and we we don't have as much liquidity on e layer one We don't have to deal with a high gas cost of e one at all. Uh, But of course, that's going to take a very long time to get to.
2: Yeah, I love that perspective. I think this summer really will be the summer of the layer two. And I think a lot of dApps are really excited to kind of look at expanding to Arbitrum and, and Optimism. Can you double click on how Connects helps once these different dApps migrate to other Layer 2s?
1: Yes. Um, so I think something that is, uh, I, th- I think, so there's there's uh, obviously a lot of, there's already a lot of, like, conversations around getting into and out of different Layer 2 systems from Ethereum. Um, we, uh, there's, people are identifying this, like, very key problem, um, like, uh, around how they're going to be able to interact with optimism optim- 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 specifically because mm-hmm. of the one-week exit window. But I think what a lot of people haven't realized is that um, ideally, and, and this is this is again not including the like existing, uh, you know, large part of the existing East community, which are like large, like largely native whales that are doing larger trades and don't really care as much about uh, about like being priced out of really small transactions. Uh, what a lot of a lot of those people aren't realizing is that like layer two to layer two interactions are going to be extremely important, especially as like exchanges start adding support for Layer 2 directly. Um, so we think that, that uh, you know, you, you were saying that this summer is going to be really interesting for Layer 2. We think that what's going to catalyze a lot of that is that, uh, you know, that basically DeFi Summer 2.0 on Layer 2 will be uh, this, you know, this wave of, like, exchange integrations um, into different Layer 2 ecosystems and then connects enabling uh, what is effectively, like, arbitrage between the different systems. So, like... You'll have uh, and this is this is something that's already happening. You'll have projects like Uniswap, projects like Aave, projects like uh, you know every single DeFi application that you currently use will deploy to every single layer two. Because why wouldn't they? And in order to flatten out the interest rates between them, in order to uh, like make sure that the the prices that you get for different assets are the same across all these systems, people will have to use something like Let Connects. Um, and at the moment, connect is really the only option on the table.
2: Totally. And maybe f- just for the listeners, can we define quickly what layer two is, what we mean when we say layer two?
1: Absolutely. Um, so layer two represents, um, so we have Ethereum layer one, which is the, the core Ethereum blockchain that everybody is operating on. Um, now, the problem with Ethereum layer one is that it doesn't scale, as we as we all kind of have have seen and heard and, and kind of know from trying to interact with it right now. Um, uh, the idea behind Layer 2 is that you can have, you can build a, a, a system on top of Ethereum that allows you to encapsulate the same functionality um, or, you know, maybe a set of systems on top of Ethereum that allow you to encapsulate the same functionality that Ethereum has, um, but without needing to use as much of the base, like basically use as much of the block space in the base chain. Um, so, like the, the core concept around something like a rollup, which is one one uh, at the moment is the most popular approach to to like, building a layer two system, um, is that you're taking a bunch of transactions that normally you would have posted to chain, and instead of posting all of that data to chain and having everybody validate it, you just post a compressed version of that data or like a proof to the chain, um, and because you're just posting the proof to the chain. Uh, you are effectively secured by Ethereum. You effectively have the same economic uh, security. You can store the same amount of funds. Nobody is, is taking custody of those funds. However, um, you don't end up needing to use the same amount of data unless someone finds that something went wrong. And that's kind of the key point around layer two as well, is that like in every layer 2 system, there's, uh, in some way, there is a challenge pattern where like, if the provider of the layer two system or whoever the provider is for your given transaction uh, doesn't accurately reflect that transaction in the proof that goes to chain um, or doesn't properly, uh, you know, tries to do something with your funds to double spend them or anything like that. You can prove on chain that this happened and you can uh, basically rewrite history to make sure that your transaction goes the way that you had expected it to in some way or another.
2: hmm. Got it. Yeah, and I think we, Ethereum scales just maybe not as far as we want it to. I guess I'm yeah. sensitive to critiques of Ethereum today, especially. But I think in the same breath, we should also maybe mention, you know, we like we likely wouldn't be here without Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think it's important to mention that when when being critical. Can you share kind of your thoughts on on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like you know, I've, I've been in the Ethereum space since 2016. And when I say like Ethereum doesn't scale, I don't mean like you know. I, I think it 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 has done more towards scalability and has more of a real vision around how a scalable crypto, a scalable blockchain, or a scalable Ethereum based ecosystem can look um, than any other system in the, in the world, right? Like I I think even more than Bitcoin. Um, but the 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 main the the like the the core of what I mean there is that. Um, at the moment, uh, if we want to bring on the next, you know, uh, one to two billion people into this ecosystem, there is no way that that can happen at a price point where those people can really operate within the space unless they are all worlds. And so, when I when I talk about like Ethereum needing to scale, what I mean is we need a we need a system. We need to be able to move Ethereum towards a world where. Um, and this is, this is generally the, the thesis behind layer two and in general, like the, the broader Ethereum scalability initiative regardless. But we need to move Ethereum towards a world where like, uh, interacting with this chain can happen in a way that is accessible to everybody. Um, and it can happen, uh, even, and it can be accessible to everybody even when there are billions of people interacting with it.
2: Totally. I love that. And I'm glad you double-clicked there. I think that kind of caveat is important. And I think what you're doing is really helping to unite Web3 and allow for different blockchains to kind of communicate to one another so that we can live in this multi-blockchain future so that Ethereum can have you know the best applications on top of it while other use cases can maybe expand to other other layer, layer twos. Um, so that's exciting. And then I guess maybe let's talk about the the composability problem. So as I understand it, you can't have, you can't take part of DeFi from Ethereum and put it on another chain because of the composability problem. And so how it looks with composability is you have to move all of DeFi from Ethereum to a layer two. Would you, can you expand on how Connects is helping with that composability problem?
1: Right. Um, and it, so I think this kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier, where like You know, you have all of these different systems. Um, They may all kind of deploy the same chains in the same, like, layer two ecosystems just because uh, there's no reason for them to not. And, like, we're seeing in the market that that's what people are doing. Um, But there is this, like, core problem around how do you make sure that the user experience looks the same for users, regardless of what chain you're on? Um, And, like, more importantly, how do you make sure that this, like, really, really interesting... World that exists today, where like all of these different protocols are building blocks, and you can piece together these building blocks to make like new and even more interesting things. Um, how do we make sure that that world continues to exist? Um, well, it's certainly a challenge. Uh, like like that was just kind of like a, a, a trying to redefine the problem statement of like what what does code composability actually mean for for users? Um, and, and like I think something that users are going to have to uh, unfortunately learn to live with is that like composability in a multi-chain world or a multi-L2 world is going to change. Um, And this is, this kind of fundamentally gets into like one of the assumptions around how Ethereum works right now and why that that assumption doesn't really scale, which is that everything is synchronous. So like when you send a transaction on the blockchain, you, when your block is mined, uh, you already have all the data around what happened, right? It's not really possible for, it's not like you have a transaction that spans across multiple different blocks. It's not like you send the, res- you send, you know, something out and then you wait for some time for it to come back, uh, you know, except in, in the sense that you wait for your block to be mined. Um, and that's that core property is what allows a lot of like really interesting, you know, uh, defy uh, related activity to exist. So for instance, flash loans, um, uh, Obviously, flash loans are a loan that you take out against a liquidity pool that it's a on chain. And you take this out, you execute a bunch of DeFi transactions, and then you pay back the loan in the same block. Now, because it's been paid back in the same block, according to Ethereum blockchain, uh, the end result is that like no funds are ever really moved. You just updated the state of all these different things. So it's kind of crazy because you can, with zero risk, you can borrow any amount of capital that you want. Um, and then all you're really doing is just paying fees to the people who had the capital stored in the first place. Um, now, that is, a, that is a, a use case that unfortunately just won't be able to exist. And, like, the reason for that is that we're moving into an asynchronous paradigm. Um, and this is kind of more of, like, how the internet works right now. Um, if, if those of you that are, like, uh, developers know that, like, the majority of the internet right now is built, or at least the web, the front-end web is built around, like, uh, JavaScript. And JavaScript is, like, notorious for how it handles, like, Asynchronous calls, and the, the idea there is that like you you make a call to something, but it's potentially halfway across the world, and it's potentially busy, and so you don't really know when you're going to get a response. So you have to make the call and then just like sit there, um, and like maybe uh, I mean it, the most efficient pattern is you have to go and continue doing other things, um, and look at that at some point you're going to get a response, and then you can use that response to do more things. Um, I think that's the unfortunately that's the pattern that we're going to have to move to. Um, and that means, you know, having to rethink how some of these contracts are designed, um, having to rethink how, you know, we approach, uh, the, the, the building blocks that we have currently. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't do those, those key building blocks at all. And I think that's, that's the, uh, to get back to your question, that's, that's where Connect comes in. So like, next allows you to not just send funds across chains, not just send a you know, transfer of value, but also to send call data. So like actually send an arbitrary Ethereum transaction. Um, and the, the thing that's powerful about that is that uh, you can actually get some of the key benefits that you were able to get with existing composability on a single chain. So you can do things like have uh, a user call contracts on another chain as part of an, or, or, or as part of a larger interaction that they're doing. Um, and that can happen in a way that's like seamless enough that you don't really need to know that you're going across chains. And uh, and I think that's going to be a big part of where the interoperability space has to go in the future and where, where like layer two has to go in the future is figuring out how to like selectively hide uh, these like gotchas that have ex- that will really now exist as a result of us moving to this new paradigm and which are kind of unavoidable, physically they're unavoidable. Um, figuring out how to hide them from users so in that way users still get the same experience that they have been getting.
2: Yeah, that's great, and I guess I would love to back up to 2016 and understand that that aha moment for you when crypto really clicked.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good um, uh, that's a really good question, and it's um it's I guess everybody always has their own like interesting story of how they fell down the rabbit hole and like. But it's, it's fascinating because like everyone has a different, entirely different story of how they first got exposed and what started to draw them to the space. But then you, you can kind of tell that there's this like clear point where um, people get hooked. And then once they get hooked, the story is exactly the same. Like They got hooked. Um, they you know started to do a ton of research into the space. They couldn't really stop thinking about it. And then at some point or another, they just decided, OK, you know what, i am just get a job in the space because I can't spend any of my time not doing this anymore. Um, that's kind of what I went through, where in 2016, I was really interested in um, UBI, Universal Basic Income. And I was really interested particularly in um, how can we allow people to uh, have more ways of, basically more streams of revenue using the internet. Um, so allow people to passively earn income by doing different kinds of things on the internet. Kind of like providing you know, capital to a DeFi or on quantity yield um of course you know the at the time the, there was really no DeFi. there was no thinking around any of that at all um uh there was back in 2016 um i think uh this was like immediately after the DAO Act, so like uh uh you know ethereum was like sentiment around ethereum was at an was at a, an all-time low um people had been uh uh, there were still like a very, very key group of builders that were very vocal and very interested in doing things. And that was all, that was really awesome to see. Um, and then that was really when like people started realizing, okay, there's actually like some really interesting things that you can build with this technology. Um, and while the DAO hack is, was, was like awful. Um, people began to realize actually like, uh, there is a significant amount of value that can go to this ecosystem if you, if you actually build it correctly. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I was introduced to Ethereum because I happened to do a hackathon with a friend who wanted to build a product on ETH. And as soon as I learned about it, I was like, maybe this is the thing that I've been looking for. Maybe this is the technology that allows people to earn money, um, however they want on the internet. And uh, I started to interact with the developer community in San Francisco. And um, so same, same situation as everybody else, uh, two months later, I was trying to start a startup in the, in the ecosystem.
2: <laughs> amazing yeah i do feel like we are totally entering into a new there's a paradigm shift where we're entering into a new work market and i think that people will start to work for ideas and protocols and kind of doing many different things like being a delegator on the graph while also providing liquidity to to uniswap i would love to understand how people can get involved in connect and kind of earn passive income if there, if there's a way.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question as well. Um, so there's, there's a few different things. Um, you know, we have, uh, we're, we're trying to, we're, we see our like, long-term role within the network as more like resource allocators. Um, I mean, eventually just like advisors, not even really being participating, uh, not even being like a really active participant at all. We want it to be like fully community driven. We want it to be, be fully community owned. Um, but at the moment, like, We're starting to transition to a mental model where, like, okay, well, uh, a big part of what we should be doing is just trying to allocate resources effectively to different people within the space. So, um, one thing that we're doing is we're setting up a grants program uh, where we're going to try to um, have different teams or individuals work to uh, earn, you know, uh, uh, like decently sizable grants um, to do different things in the ecosystem, like building. Infrastructure, whether that's a like core infrastructure for the protocol, or even like supplemental infrastructure, um, you know, for visualizing network and things like that. Um, but then also to do things like work with the community, like help build educational resources, help um, you know moderate, help do things that you know push this ecosystem forward. Um, and then beyond that, there's also like ways to earn capital within within the network itself, and these are more like your traditional DeFi mechanisms where. Um, if you are a liquidity provider, if you have access to capital, we're looking for people to run routers. Um, routers are like the nodes in our network that allow you to communicate between chains. Um, and routers are also the LPs. Uh, they, uh, you know, you, uh, it's kind of similar to like other staking networks. So like ETH2, um, you deploy capital into a router and like, validate this network, um, uh, validate the transactions going through the network. And in doing so, you can earn a return on, your, on, uh, on the capital staked.
2: Amazing. Yeah, I've always said that with the crypto space, this will be the largest wealth transfer we we see in our lifetimes. And I, I feel like being involved in this space for so long, we're seeing that. And so I'm really excited that you shared that because I think it can allow for more people who are maybe working their day jobs, not super passionate about it to maybe peer in to the crypto space and hopefully join this movement. I would love to maybe... Double-click on Connext one more time, and what is the one-liner description just so the audience can really understand what Connext is doing?
1: Yeah. Um, Connext is the interoperability protocol for Layer 2 Ethereum. Um, basically, the idea is um, in a multi-L2 Ethereum, uh, when we have different rollups out there, we have different users using different rollups. ups um, you will need a way to communicate between those rollups, um, And that that mechanism needs to be cheap and fast and generalized enough that people don't really, ideally, don't really ever need to know what chain they're on.
2: Totally. Yeah, I think that Connect is helping with interoperability at the, the transaction layer, and I think that's super important. How do you see transactions across layer twos emerging? Do you see this being organic? Will the, the users decide? Will the layer twos decide?
1: Um, so far, it's been very organic. Um, we have, uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different ways that people are using Connect right now. Um, we have like, uh, so, so obviously the Ethereum layer two space is just getting started. Um, you know, Arbitrum is, is going live fully publicly, live very, very soon. Um, things like optimism, ZK sync, Starkware, uh, Starknet will be, will be live soon as well, or at least will be in like a, a, a more open phase where people can start building against them. Um, However, we can try to learn from uh, the existing ecosystems that have already been around and and see extrapolate from how those have propagated. So Polygon and Binance chain are like two great examples of this where like, um, you know, people started moving to Polygon and Binance uh, to BSC specifically because there was, you know, we've had extremely high gas prices on Ethereum for the last like few months. Um, And, uh, those two chains offered the same kind of core value prop that, that a lot of the rollups offer, which is a much cheaper ecosystem to, to work in, a much cheaper ecosystem to build on. And what we've seen, and this is actually really fascinating, is that like most of the people that are building on top of these chains, um, and not just building, but like using these chains, aren't necessarily people who are very experienced. Um, so we have a product, or at least we, we're working with a project called um, uh, working with a DAO called OneHive um, that has built a product on top of us called Expollinate, which is a, a bridge that connects um, Binance, so VSC, Phantom, um, XDAI, and Polygon. And what we've seen is that people are constantly moving between these different chains because they're chasing after like, different applications, different projects that they want to interact with. A lot of people are moving to Polygon. And most importantly, a lot of the people that are using it are fairly new. Um, they're not like users that have been around for years. They're users that are trying things out because, uh, you know, they're, they previously were priced out of using Ethereum, and now they can use Polygon for almost nothing. Um, and so for them, it's it's kind of interesting because like um, it's it's sort of like the same feeling that I got when when I joined the space in 2016. Um, it was it was you know it was cheap. It was really easy to use and or not easy to use, but it was at least like. Cheap enough and fast enough to use it, uh, in a way where you could make mistakes, right? You you didn't you weren't risking a lot of capital by like sending a transaction to the wrong wrong place um, and having to like undo it or having to like uh, reallocate your capital between like different DeFi systems. And instead, um, you were able to just like play around with different things and see how they work. Um, and I think that element of play is how L2 will get adoption. I think that's how like a lot of these L2 transactions will start to happen. Um, you know, we have like. A couple of different projects now that are building like cross L2 or clock cross like you know sidechain um you know DeFi applications like vaulting and like zapping into vaults on different chains um in a single transaction, for instance. And like, you know, these things are fundamentally a type of play. And at the same time, like they will get they will start to get traction because people will realize, hey, like you can do some really interesting things when you put all these building blocks together. Um so yeah, I think uh, to, to answer your question, like, like I think um, I would expect this to really happen organically. I think like as the uh, as people start to move to these different layer two ecosystems, and more importantly, as you have this like induced demand that happens because the, these ecosystems have gotten a lot cheaper and a lot more people are starting to like flow into the space. Um, as this starts to happen, uh, you're going to have like differences in price between different systems. Yeah, just because that there will be differing demands. And when that happens, there's going to be this like really, you know, purely lizard brain economic need to to move value between different chains, to have build products that actually go between these different systems to arbitrage those those opportunities.
2: Yeah, I got it. And then I know that you've seen rampant growth. Can you share a little bit more around where that weekly volume is coming from?
1: Yeah. Um, so we've been growing super fast. We've been, uh, I think like we have averaged 50, 50% month, uh, week over week growth, uh, which is insane. Um, uh, we are, um, I think at around, uh, $40 million in weekly volume at the moment. Um, we're, we're working on like releasing a new version of the protocol, which we expect will, uh, let us scale a lot further, a lot faster. Um, we're seeing that almost all of that volume of it, or at least a very sizable chunk of that volume, is coming between BSC and Polygon, um, and we think that a big part of that is that you know obviously BSC has the access to to you know the the finance exchange, um, and that is one of the primary mechanisms that people are using to get into and out of the space. But then we're also seeing that there is like uh, obviously a lot of interest to be on Polygon right now because it's cheap and because every Every DeFi protocol has deployed there, and because everybody's running a liquidity, liquidity mining program there.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think a lot of that will flow to Optimism and Arbitrum once they launch publicly?
1: Yes, we have like uh, we have our ear to the ground on a lot of this stuff, and we're also working with a lot of these protocols already. Um, even if even if we're, we're not like doing an integration or anything like that yet, we are working. We are like communicating really closely with a lot of these DeFi protocols. Um, and we're seeing everyone is just as excited about Arbitrum. We're, we think the even, like, even in the immediate short term of the next few weeks, we expect the Arbitrum polygon pathway to be extremely, extremely frequently used.
2: Interesting. That's some good alpha. Thank you for sharing that. And I guess I know Arbitrum and Optimism are EVM compatible. How does it work with Connects and non-EVM compatible chains like the ones that you mentioned, like Starkware, ZK Sync, StarkNet?
1: Yep. Yeah, um, so we're probably we're waiting to to support zk sync until they have the EVM compatibility stuff live. I think it's in it's in alpha right now. Um, starting it is not EVM compatible. Um, it will require a bit more of a manual integration. Um, the way that our system works right now is that if you have a Turing complete chain, um, so basically a chain that is able to uh, do any kind of like arbitrary computation, it's not like limited in in terms of what it can functionally accomplish in the same way that like Bitcoin is limited. Um, uh, you can uh, you can basically we have a, like a, a plug-in system um, so you the main change that you have to do is you have to rewrite the contracts and port them over to this new system um, and then you have to uh, plug in a new um, RPC interface um, a new way to connect to that chain um, at the moment that is like a just a, a very simple module that is uh, that you just have to like translate over to whatever that chain accepts um, we expect that it's not going to be too difficult to add support for these other systems, at least if they are Turing complete. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we haven't been able to focus on it so far just because of bandwidth constraints. Um, I think once we start to get more of this network out and up and running and live, um, that is certainly something that we want to, like, give grants for. Um, you know, we, we think there's, like, a really, really interesting opportunity to have used grants as a mechanism to, like, Add support for Connects pretty much everywhere very quickly, and you can even build support for non-Turing complete chains like Bitcoin, for instance, um, but using a different mechanism where we interoperate with like the Lightning Network. Um, and there's there's projects that are doing that already. So for instance, statement uh, uh, is a is an existing like um, like a, an existing Dex that operates with Lightning, and they are interested in building support for Connects as well, and that would allow you to like swap Bitcoin for um, you know USDT and other like uh, basically any other other asset within the Ethereum space or the broader EVM compatible ecosystem.
2: Oh, amazing! That will be huge. Um, I would love to. You know, you've been at this for three three plus years. We've been talking about state channels and layer twos for a very long time. Why is now the time for adoption?
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, that's a tough question. Um, so I think like. I think um, something that's really difficult that we, I mean, we've we've kind of like realized this over the course of the last few years, but it's it's always really difficult to like estimate times around research. Um, research is this like very non linear like process where you know you may think that you have made a bunch of breakthroughs, and then you may, as a result of making those breakthroughs, draw a trend line that says, okay, well, you know, if we continue making breakthroughs at this rate, we're going to have this new system live. Um, and it's going to be fully functional within X amount of time. But the reality is that, like, unfortunately, research doesn't really work that way, and, like, you end up frequently end up in a situation where, like, the you're you in a total dead end, and you need to, like, rewrite your entire system, or you need to, like, rethink comp- from the bottom up how you were thinking about something. Um, I think this is the right time because for years, um, we have been doing this research, right? So we started building... L2 stuff um, in 2018, early 2018. Um, Connect was actually the first ever like uh like fully non-custodial layer two system on Ethereum that was like not just specifically built for like a, a single um a single use case or a single application. It was like more kind of general purpose. In our case, it was like targeted around like payments and things like that more generally. But um we were the more the, the first like general purpose like layer two service provider um in the space. And even then like uh, we could see that there was just like a lot of open questions around how how this stuff should be built correctly. We we like you know f- through the, the the fire and brimstone of putting in front of users, we realized that a lot of the kind of assumptions that we had held around how this research should be done, and how we should even be thinking about like the way that users should be interacting with this code uh, and with this with this system were totally incorrect. And that was even more so for systems like Plasma, where like for a very very long period of time, the entire Ethereum Layer Two research community was chasing after plasma as a as a as, an, as a mechanism for Layer Two scalability. Um, and then after you know a year plus of effort, um, everyone realized that it was it was kind of a dead end. Um, now of course, that the the knowledge that was gained as a result of doing that was translated into rollups, and we now have rollups as this like more functional, more usable mechanism for for Layer Two. Um, but it just, it just took time. So I think the reason that this is the right time is that we finally got to the point where like we have gotten through the research phase. Um, and that's really the most unpredictable phase. And now we're in the development and engineering phase where like you can have a more realistic sense of how long it will take to do something. Uh, of course, engineering timelines exist and you can always expect that any announcement is going to be delayed by at least a couple of months, but, um, it's still on a time scale that is like determinable. Um, and, uh, and that's I think why like this summer is going to be really interesting. This summer and I would like, say continuing until the rest of the year. I wouldn't be surprised if it's also like this fall. When a lot of a lot of this mostly happens just because, like I said, it always takes time—more time than people expect—to ship things and, and get adoption.
2: An totally, and I think you know this—you know, connect, the graph, Chainlink, Ethereum—all of these layer twos are really kind of providing the piping. Underneath, for this infrastructure to really kind of be strong for these applications to build and thrive, and you know, focus on the user experience as opposed to all this piping underneath. And I think for me, it's become very clear that Connect is part of that Web three stack. That is a very core component. Um, You are kind of a fellow founder that has built through many bear markets alongside me and many others in this industry, like. Hayden, like Sergey from Chainlink, and many others. How did you survive through the bear markets you've been through? What kept you going?
1: Oh, yeah, um, it's um, it's difficult. I mean, it's it's so it's, it's, it's both difficult and not difficult. So there's there's some really great things about building in a bear market. Um, in fact, I, I generally think that building in a bear market, having been through you know two bull markets and one long bear, uh, one very long, very awful bear. I'm of the opinion now that building a bear market is just much better if you have the capital. So if you have the funds in the bank um, and you know, you know, if you're, uh, if, you, if you're not like stressed about the fact that nobody around you has any money um, and that you're not going to be able to raise most likely uh, I think building in the bear market is a lot a better of a time because you're going to get real user feedback, right? In a bull market and you can pretty much just throw anything at the wall and it'll stick um, because Everybody is interested in trying stuff. There's just enough floating demand for new users flowing to the space. And like anything that you really uh, like, it doesn't really matter how high quality your product is. Users are always just going to be like, yeah, I want to use it. And um, in, in addition to that, um, uh, in the bull market, it's pretty much impossible to hire <laughs> because everyone is, is getting funded. Everyone is starting their own like projects. Um, this also means that there's a lot of noise in the space. So it's like very hard to like distill what the high quality projects are from the low quality projects. Um, everybody suddenly has like 50 new competitors because uh, you know it's, uh, people just randomly decided overnight that they want us to uh, build a competitor to your project, um, not realizing that it actually sometimes takes years of work to get there. Um, and uh, and so I think like those, those parts of the bear market I miss, and I kind of uh, <laughs> you know. I don't want to jinx it, but I do hope that it's you know when I am, I am excited for the next bear market because I think those things will be a lot easier. Um, now, of course, there are really hard parts as well, and I think the biggest challenge that we faced as an organization was being able to like continue building and pull through, even though we hadn't we were you know one of the projects in the space that didn't raise a ton of capital in 2017. Um, we were pretty conservative with how we raised. We wanted to make sure that we got to product market fit uh, before we raised a lot of money, and um, and that of course meant that we had to like really, really be very careful about how we were allocating resources uh, for the duration of the market. And there were certainly a lot of instances where we came pretty close to, like, dying just because there was there was just no money in the market at all. Like, you know, we, we went to ra- – we uh, raised in the bear market, and uh, at the time, like, many of the funds that we spoke to were also out of capital. <laughs> um, so I think, like, the main – I guess the main takeaway there is that, um, you know – there are certain things that are going to be really great about building a bear market in a bear market. I think like if you are able to raise right now in the bull um, and you're able to actually have something that has value, um, being in a bear market is actually just going to make your value proposition that much more interesting. And like people are going to start paying attention to you if you happen to like stay stick it out. Um, however, uh, of course, it's difficult. You know, you have to have the mental fortitude to be like to like sort of you know like the reason that people who have been through the bear markets respect each other because is because they know that like one, of the people who have suck it out are the people who really really believe in this stuff and like aren't really in it for the money at all they're doing it because they are for better or for worse just like missionaries who are like dogmatically believing that this is the right path forward
2: <laughs> absolutely yeah and i think we all are a little bit crazy and i think it's kind of like <laughs> Your job said, like the ones who are crazy enough to change the world actually do. Um, I guess, like, how did you always have the conviction to follow through with Connext?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question as well. I think, so it's, it's obviously, uh, it's interesting because like uh, sometimes, you know, you, when you're, when you're building a company, when you're building like a decentralized organization, even more so sometimes, and especially as you go through like bull and bear cycles, sometimes you and everybody around you thinks you're a genius. Um, and then there are other times where you and everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. Um, and usually in the bear market, everyone thinks you're an idiot, think everyone around you. And like, you sort of have to like tune that out and think about what are the fundamental things that matter here, right? Like what are the fundamental things that um, the fundamental truths that you know about this market that you know are going to remain true going into the future. And is it, is it worth continuing to have, you know, that conviction around something um, for us, with Connext, our core thesis was always that we're a user experience company. Um, you know, we want to help make the user experience of Ethereum um, and now you know the Ethereum Layer Two space so seamless that users don't really need to know much about this space. They don't need to like deal with a lot of the like pipes and stuff like that that normally you have to deal with currently, especially around things like moving across chains. Um, we uh, we, we had a lot of instances in the bear market where like you know, that conviction was tested because we were like, okay, well, is it really that important to be working on there to scalability? Is it really that important for us to be thinking about um, you know, like this problem versus any other problem? And the argument that we always had with ourselves internally was, it has to be, because at some point or another, either of two things happens, right? Either this entire ecosystem disappears um, because, like, nobody uses it and it just, or, like, you know, it just kind of stays this, like, very, very niche, very, very marginalized thing and everybody who's really interested in it right now just kind of disappears over the course of a very long period of time. Or uh, at some point, enough value gets built that people start using this space. And if people are using the space, this scalability problem will exist. And like that was really where our conviction came from. Was we were we were just really sure that like we were really certain, uh, looking at the facts of the matter, that like Ethereum and, and the broader like blockchain kind of uh, movement represents something that is inherently valuable, right? Like there is inherent value to the fact that you know you can decentralize coordination, you can make these like untamperable mechanisms for people to interact with each other across the world, and you can do that at a cost that's like orders of magnitude cheaper than anything else that exists. Um, and if that is inherently valuable, then at some point that technology is going to be used. And if that if at some point the technology is going to be used, it is going to have the scalability issue. so next has to exist.
2: And that I is love that. Yeah. I think it's really important to like think into the future and build towards that future. And that's what you know the graph has been doing as well. I think Web3 is inevitable. Blockchains will become the future of the internet. And so thinking, you know, five, 10 years into the future is what we're building for and kind yep. of paving that pave for that future to exist.
1: Yep, exactly. And I think the graph did a fantastic job with this as well. Like, I, I think the graph is another, like, is a, is a great example of like a, 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 you know, a company or a project that was like um, started in the bear market, um, you know, had this like conviction around, um, you know, uh, this this decentralized web vision and that conviction has remained true to this time and that that message of, de- of the decentralized web has been sticky enough has been interesting enough to people it has been like valuable enough inherently as a narrative and as something that like is worth striving for that it's drawing this large community around it and i think that's the it's like contrary to a startup right when in a traditional startup um some, something that i've, I've like been thinking about a lot lot lately is that like decentralized networks and these kinds of protocols are not startups. They're fundamentally not startups. And like a lot of times we try to build them the same way that we try to build startups, but there's so much more than that because more like they're they're also like a movement, right? There's a, rather than having just this uh, entity that you build where like the, uh, you have to think about the inputs and outputs of the entity and the outputs need to like be greater than the inputs in order for you to survive long enough. Um, (laughs) Uh you, you need to, uh, with a decentralized network, it's not just about like inputs and outputs. It's also about this narrative. It's about this like sort of more fuzzy thing where you have to convince people that this is something that is actually worth believing in. And those people have to be willing to believe in it enough to like stick with you through the next bear, ma- bear market, right? Like if the community that you build is there because they just uh, believe in the value of your token and believe that it will make you rich or make them rich um, or that it has already made them rich they're not going to be around the next time a bear market happens. Um, it's the people who are like fundamentally believe that this is actually a paradigm shift, that this is something that like genuinely will improve the lives of, of many, many, many people around the world.
2: Totally. Yeah. And I as you know that's why I, one of the first things I look for when I hire is like mission first. And yep. the mission needs to come above everything else. And people really need to be aligned with that for the long term. I guess you mentioned that it's hard to hire during bull markets. Node just hired someone from Google, someone from AWS, someone from Airbnb, like very top talent. And I would say that one thing that we've done is just had communicated our strong values and that mission. So I'd love to give you that opportunity now to do that for Connect. What are the values that you really hold true to the project? And what is that mission that you're striving towards?
1: Yeah. Um, so our vision is that this decentralized web, um, the, the, Basically, our our vision is that um, a world with decentralized public goods, um, where you have these kinds of pieces of infrastructure that are not necessarily tied to certain sovereign states, they're not necessarily tied to certain corporate entities or certain centralized individuals that can push them in certain directions or have incentives to move them in certain directions, those kinds of public goods are inherently extremely valuable, Um, and we think in, a, in, a internet, in an internet-enabled world, in a world where we are, it is more than a world that we're having to think of than simply a country or simply a, a market uh, within a specific region, um, we need this kind of public infrastructure. We need infrastructure that goes beyond governments, that goes that allows us to communicate and coordinate at a global scale. Now, we think that this infrastructure has to exist. Um, it has to exist for humanity to progress forward. But... We also think that it, it can't exist. It can't possibly exist unless it is simple enough um, and it's it's seamless enough that anyone from anywhere can eventually learn to interact with it. And unless you, you know, there's there's sort of this like equalizing force where we don't want to end up being the kind of ecosystem that builds a set of protocols that are only able to be used by the, techn- the technological elite or that are only able to be used by the people who really have spent a lot of time understanding how they work from the get-go. Instead, we want to build something that anyone can use anywhere on in the planet. That's the fundamental mission of Connects. We want to be a, a, a user experience company. We think that the, uh, this decentralized public infrastructure world exists when you can make the process of interacting with blockchains completely seamless. So as a user, you don't really need to deal with the underlying mechanisms that uh, are, are kind of inherent to how the system works.
2: I love that. Um, yeah. The values... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say lowering the barrier to entry for users. I think it's exactly. so important.
1: And the values that we have are really well aligned with that. So we we fundamentally value like simplicity. Um, we think that the best kinds of products, the best kinds of infrastructure... Um, you know, everything from TCP IP to Stripe, um, all of the things that have been really successful in the world are fundamentally very simple. So we we try to strive for simplicity in, in what we do, even though we understand that this infrastructure is complex, like this, this space is complex. We try to make things as simple as possible. Um, we try to be as transparent as possible. Uh, we think that, like, in order for us to be able to move towards being a system that is owned and governed by a lot of people rather than a system that is owned and governed by us. We need to make sure that everyone understands how it works. We need to make sure that everyone feels like they understand why things work the way they do and why we've made the decisions that we have made. Um, And we also want to make sure that we're collaborative and open to feedback around making sure that over time uh, people are contributing themselves to to the decision-making process. Um, and lastly, I think we're we're just we're we're a team that's very action oriented. Um, we try to ship code. We have historically always tried to ship code um, uh, as much as possible. We've been people who have been builders uh, rather than people who have written like, mark, uh, white papers, and we think that's really important in the space. Uh, there's a lot of you know, especially in bull markets, there's a lot of noise. Uh, there's a lot of people who have write white papers for different systems that like market a lot of different systems, but don't have a lot to back it up. And I think for Connects, it's really important to us that we sit on the other side of that spectrum, where sometimes, and this is certainly something that we need to improve on, where sometimes we actually don't market enough. We don't really tell enough, uh, we don't, you know, uh, uh, tell enough of the, or, or create enough hype around what we're building. But we think that's acceptable, because we think that, like, really, really good infrastructure in the long run will speak for itself.
2: Yes, but it is important to have people that translate that to the masses. So maybe yeah. that is something that someone on the business side can potentially come on in the future to help Connex do. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak, I guess, you know, always be shipping. I think that's great that you're, you're, you're you know, Connex is committed to that. Expanding on that, when do you think, you know, our grandparents will, will use this technology?
1: Yeah, um, so... I don't know when our grandparents will use this technology, but my bar for success is not that our grandparents use this technology. It's that our grandkids use this technology. So I, I think like, um, you know, of course it's going to take time to get to the point where grandparents will be able to use this. I think like something important to consider there is that like, there's still large parts of the world that don't still don't, you know, use email or have, I do like many of the basic things that we, we do on the internet. So like um, it will certainly take a, a lot of time for that like late majority of late adopters to, to like get to the point where this is something that they can use. And uh, to an extent, it may not even necessarily be possible. Um, you know, for at least for some people, it may not, it may just take time for uh, the, this to like propagate through the rest of society. But my goal is that it shouldn't just be, um, you know, the late adopters that use this but then this technology itself should just stand the test of time, like I think, I think we succeed as an ecosystem if people are still using these protocols a hundred years from now, because that means we built resilient public infrastructure that actually goes beyond what any uh, any normal company could do. Right? There's very few companies out there that are a hundred years old, and almost none of the really really valuable companies are a hundred years old. At least uh, the really valuable technology companies that have been around uh, that have like grown in the last like two decades. Um so I think the uh, the idea is we can move towards a world where you build infrastructure that lasts um and it, it it you know becomes a fundamental piece of how human beings coordinate for the at least for the rest of the duration of the internet
2: I love that. Well, it's been such a breath of fresh air speaking with you. I think your story probably resonated to many people listening. What are some of the short-term needs that Connext has? I know you mentioned the grants program. If there's any specific grants you would like to see, any open roles you're hiring for?
1: Yeah. Um, so we're hiring for a lot of different roles. Um, we are certainly trying to grow as fast as possible right now. Um, we are hiring on the technical side, on like engineering side for... Um, basically, infrastructure developers—people um, who have experience building like large-scale production applications—we're um, hiring uh, integrations engineers, so people who can help bring connects to uh, you know uh, all of the different applications in the space, and can start thinking about how we can uh, make connects a fundamental building block within within Define within you know Ethereum more generally. Um, and then on the business side, we're hiring for operations. Um, we, you know we want. People who can help run this organization and help scale it, uh, make it into uh, you know make it go from this like project that a bunch of us are working on and a bunch of you know different teams are interested in contributing to, to like a, a large scale organization that isn't just you know a, a centralized company, but is is a an organization that you know has many many different teams all across the planet contributing to it. Um, and then we're, lastly, we're looking for uh, to hire somebody for ecosystem. Um, we think that. Uh, and like, you know, it, the, the corollary to a uh, the customer acquisition pipeline for a decentralized protocol is is what we call the uh, uh, like basically this like community acquisition funnel. And we want somebody who can like build and own that funnel from end to end. And that means, you know, everything from building this narrative around Connect and bringing it to a broader audience to uh, getting you know the bottom of the funnel stuff, where like we get individuals who are interested in in being community members to become owners of the protocol, to like have them uh, you know build out key pieces using grants um, and be key maintainers of different pieces of the ecosystem.
2: Amazing! Yeah, I think decentralized protocols are going to eat the world. So that's great. You have so many open opportunities within Connects. How can people find you and Connects? Do you have a, a Telegram handle you want to share?
1: Um, yeah. Um, so you can find Connects at, uh, uh, you know, Network. Um, we have a, there's, there's a lot of links there already, um, but we, we uh, I would say like, if you're interested in, in just chatting and, and uh, like talking to the team talking to the community, uh, the best way to do that is to, to join our Discord server. Um, and the link for that is chat.connects.network. Um Uh, Beyond that, you can also like hit me up. Um, My telegram handle is at Arjun Bhaktani, um, which I'm hoping the spelling of which will be on the, on the podcast. So I don't have to spell it out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And yeah, uh, I'm always happy to chat with anybody who has any interesting ideas or questions about, um, about what we're doing.
2: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much, Tegan.
0: Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts. Tweet about it or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. or